I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Violet Hour presents... November 8th, 1993, 09.30 hours. A forensic autopsy is being performed on the body, identified by tags as Kiara Walford. I am being assisted this morning by mortuary technician Rosen. The body is that of a slightly underweight black female teenager, consistent with the recorded age of 16. The conjunctivae are white and show no petechiae. There is blood in the nose and mouth, but absent in the ear canals. The upper and lower extremities, along with the neck and chest, are scattered with echiomosis consistent with anemia. Upon reflection of the breastplate, organs are exhibiting anomalous changes. I'm not quite sure what I'm looking at. The thoracic organs are translucent and desiccated in appearance. I can see the blue of my gloves through the liver. This is bizarre. Can you get some shots of this?
brain tissue indicative of a stroke. This is not definitive, but possible manner of death. Recommendation is deferment of cause of death pending the results from toxicology. This is simply one of the strangest things I have seen in all my years as a clinician. Half of this, I don't even recognize. It's like something out of a horror movie. Death came to Fillmore. Shocking and sudden. Kiara Walford, a beautiful young woman who struggled for all 16 years of her existence, mysteriously died. Her death was described by the medical examiner performing her autopsy candidly and almost as if in a state of shock. is like something out of a horror movie. And so begins another dark chapter in this story that already exists deep within the void. This is Lifting the Rug, a production of RFE Radio, where we explore hidden secrets, unsolved mysteries, and shine a light for justice. I'm Samantha Williams, and together, let's venture back into the gloom. Episode four, Spite Your Face. I keep telling you that I feel like I'm being drained. It's everywhere. It's in my skin. It's in my head. It's in my guts. It's in my fingers. This gloom is fucking everywhere. The ringing in my ears. I, I, I can't hear you clearly. Shut the fuck up. I, I just want to sleep. Can you help me sleep? I, I, I think I'm gonna die soon, Doc. A chilling prophecy actualized. Kiara Walford died on November 6, 1993, from what the New York Office of Chief Medical Examiner later concluded to be multiple organ failure caused by a stroke a complication of sickle cell anemia, a disease she battled since early childhood. What is even more disturbing than this are the gaps and elements heard in the medical examiner's audio, but not reflected in his final report. Within the official document, there is no mention of translucent organs as described on the tape. No reference to the examination resembling something out of a horror movie. Many unanswered questions remain. Questions that have me contemplating the efficacy and ethics of the agency tasked with speaking for the dead. From cradle to grave, too often the poor and people of color are rushed through without a proper examination of the facts. This is not to say, however, that this is all about race or class. The bureaucracy associated with this story has, for most of the country's history, been overworked, underpaid, with limited resources to do their job adequately. The pressure to churn through the work and eliminate the backlog allows for miscarriages of justice, not necessarily out of malice, 
but simply out of a need to get the numbers up. The system is designed in a way so that the individual people working within it understand their little piece of the machine without understanding the full consequences of their part in it. Individually, they are not bad actors, but as a collective system, they can cause harm. Teachers aren't necessarily bad. Police aren't necessarily bad, but working together, the system self-determines the fate of millions of young black and brown children. One day I want to get out of here. I want to live in California, Los Angeles. I want to have my own record label. Yeah. How cool would that be? <laughs> yeah. One day. Kiara Walford died in the custody and care of the state. A child whose death was quickly determined by the city in an effort to move along a process and clear a case. Without anyone casting an eye to the evidence right there in front of them that could point toward malicious harm at the institution. For Kiara, the autopsy was not where her voice was allowed to finally speak. Like so many other young people from her background, her voice was silenced. Kiara's absence could almost literally be felt in the following day's group therapy session. It's okay to feel sad. Kiki dead. Kiki dead. Kiki dead. I just don't understand. It took her. Kiara was sick. She had a terrible illness. She's... She's at peace now. Mm-mm. She... Dead. She's food for the gloom. Shut up, Bruce! No, no, Alicia. It's okay, Bruce. It's okay to feel the way that you feel. It's not fucking okay that this happened. Kiki should be here right now. She, she shouldn't be rotting in some box somewhere. I just, I just can't believe she's dead. <laughs> We're gonna get through this together. Shh, 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 shh. It's listening to us now. It's it's here. It's here right now. And we know you're here. You son of a bitch. We can hear you. Get out. Get out of here. Bruce. Get out of here. Please try to regain your composure. Find your center and calm yourself. Heartbreaking. Their loss was unfathomable. Their fears palpable. In their minds, the threat of this imminent death at the hands of this gloom was more likely than ever. And that word again. It's almost like they think of it as a person rather than a state of being. For Dr. Harrington, the next phase of her treatment, or scaling back of treatment, was to begin. I want to ask you all something. Have you thought about not taking the medication you're on? Are you crazy? We should switch spots. Hand over the notepad, Doc. Bruce, self-assess. Is it helping you right now? I don't know. I'm here, right? I didn't kill myself. Every day alive is a day one, right, Doc? 
but the gloom you all speak of. It's still around, right? Yeah. It's always around. Will you trust me? There's no way in hell Lasher is going to allow this. He's obsessed with the shit we're on. It's his fucking cure-all wonder drug. I bet he'll make millions off this shit. And then perhaps we don't tell him. Sneaky, Doc. You sly fox, Doc. Sly fox. Humor me. One week without the pills. Try it. I want all of you to try it. If things don't get better by next Friday, start them again. What if we die? I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I've been good so far, right? Kiki's dead. Because I should have acted sooner to tell you to do this. One week. Seven days, 23 hours, 45 minutes, 30 seconds. If I die because of this, I swear I'll haunt you. Well, the company would be nice. Do you all know how to cheek your meds? Doc, come on. Cheeking one's medication is the process of pretending to take your medication, but tucking said pill or pills under the tongue alongside the inner cheek so that it appears you've swallowed it. It is a practice that, more often than not, can pass through the vetting gates if the people administering the medication do not thoroughly assess whether or not the individual has swallowed their dosage. Darlene, a medical professional, an adult within a room of psychologically disturbed teenagers, suggested this possibly life-threatening act. So, in summary, what is your position? I should say management's position and recommendation regarding Dr. Harrington. Dr. Harrington's unilateral decision to take the children off their antipsychotic medications was grossly negligent. It was in direct contradiction to my instructions. It violated a number of facility policies. Most importantly, it put the children in harm's way. We don't even know the full consequences as they relate to the death of Miss Walford. Yes, but the dosage and administration of these drugs We've also heard today that this is also problematic. The dosage and administration were within acceptable parameters. I struggle to find how the administration of as a combination administered to adolescents is in any way acceptable. Well, as I've referred to previously, the four studies presented as attachment 17 to 21 support the supervised use of these drugs at levels that are deemed appropriate by their primary physician. I am that physician. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. 
With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Before the state-run inquest even started, the board of Fillmore had their own questions, not just about Dr. Harrington's medical ethics, but for her superior, Dr. Lasher, as well. Interestingly, despite everything, they still took the time to protect themselves by covering the cocktail of drugs Dr. Lasher was using on the kids. It seems the intellectual property of the drugs was the most important priority. On paper, Dr. Lasher and Dr. Harrington seemed as though they were a dynamic team. At first, you would think that their patients were pretty lucky to have them both going to bat for them. But early indications seemed to suggest a conflict in either style or approach to treatment between the two doctors. This came to a head with Dr. Harrington's decision to take the patients off of their medication. And by keeping this a secret, it forever broke any trust between teacher and apprentice. So far, I've indicated that there are a lot of questions about Dr. Harrington, her motives, and her approach. However, Dr. Lasher is not without controversy. A curious note was uncovered in the pile of examinations, medical recommendations. On an innocuous analysis of a patient was a small handwritten note that read, DMT, a phrase I cannot read, and a second phrase, communications gateway. Dimethyltryptamine, also known as DMT. It is a chemical substance that naturally dwells within some animals, plants, and potentially humans. It's a strong hallucinogenic with extremely strong psychedelic properties. The drug has been used for millennia by various cultures as a catalyst for rituals and vision quests. Some consider it a gateway to other dimensions, a way to see beings who reside beyond our plane of existence. But as proponents of DMT often argue, this is not a recreational drug like marijuana or molly. Fun is not a word one would associate with the DMT experience and treat it the wrong way, it could have some very negative consequences. People who are prone to mental health problems, including depression, anxiety, and more serious conditions like schizophrenia may trigger these conditions because of rapid and intense changes to brain chemistry. To expand on my research, I reached out to modern psychonaut and botanist, Dr. Dalton Kelly. Dr. Kelly, thank you so much for meeting with me. The pleasure is all mine. <laughs> Dr. Kelly, what is a psychonaut? 
Well, the term, also associated with psychonautics, came from the German author Ernest Younger to describe the parallels between the use of psychedelic drugs and exploration. In this case, exploration of the mind. Clinical psychologist Jan Dirk Blum elaborated on the idea and denoted that a psychonaut explores the psyche by means of techniques such as lucid dreaming, brainwave entertainment, sensory deprivation, and the use of hallucinogenics. Is a psychonautic approach safe to integrate into psychiatry, specifically with teenagers? <laughs> well, I'm not that kind of a doctor, miss. I'm a botanist. <laughs> Thank crumb, I don't have to deal with teenagers. <laughs> Dr. Kelly, in your opinion, is DMT safe? That's a loaded question, really. Any drug is safe or unsafe depending on the amount, how it's administered, or a combination of the two. Could you speak about the consequences of improper usage of the drug? Ma'am, sometimes when you open doors that weren't meant to be opened, there's no closing them. What do you mean by that? From the altered brainwaves and participants' reports, it's clear that one on a DMT trip is completely immersed in their experience. It's like daydreaming, only far more vivid and immersive. Like dreaming with your eyes open. So, a person during a DMT experience could see things. Bizarre things and swear black and blue that it is as real as anything they see with their own eyes. Yes. Yes, they could. During the experience, but not just then. Hallucinations and other psychosis symptoms can last months or years after the drug was used previously. It's a condition called hallucinogen persisting perception disorder. With this considered, I had some serious questions about those investigating the events that led to the Fillmore 4 incident. In a waking dream, for those with significant mental health impairments, what kinds of things could they be capable of? What risk are clinicians taking when administering this type of experimental cocktail to their patients, specifically developing young adults? Dr. Lasher's use of DMT and who knows what on patients with significant mental health impairments is at least worth further examination. I raised this with my law enforcement contact. You again. You still think you're going to dig up the Fillmore 4? Detective Filardo, why didn't investigators speak to Dr. Harrington or Dr. Lasher in depth? Why weren't they considered suspects or responsible? How do you know that they weren't? I know that you spoke to Darlene Harrington, but what about Dr. Lasher? Why were the tapes with Dr. Lasher heavily redacted? What does that matter? <laughs> that Lasher. I remember talking to him once early in my career. Real creepy dude. Lady, ever consider that maybe no one's to blame? Maybe Satan himself started that fire. Today marks the opening of the Fillmore Lunatic Asylum, an 800-acre bedlam with a fully operational dairy farm, fertile fields for the cultivation of crops, and even its own stop on the railroad. The self-sustaining compound for the mentally ill. Fillmore was not the only one. These monolithic estates could be found all across the globe. From Pilgrim State and Kings Park on Long Island, to Danvers in Massachusetts, and Broadmoor in Yorkshire, England. It was a concept that allowed clinicians to build a sense of community among their residents. But more nefariously, a place to hide those deemed unfit for society. 
a tomb tucked away on the other side of apple orchards, cornfields, and railroad tracks, where the living were walled up inside, many for the rest of their natural lives. It wasn't all bad, though. There were groundbreaking discoveries and effective treatments which are still used today. Mood-altering drugs, electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT, AKA electric shock therapy is still used today to treat severe cases of manic depression. Progress, especially for the severely mentally ill and developmentally disabled. Individuals who thrived on the community aspect of a residential setting were failed by the United States governments in the 1980s. Deinstitutionalization or suppression of funds for mental health facilities led to their inevitable closures and the homelessness of many of their former residents. While the federal government of the 1980s was busy cutting funding to mental health agencies, Dr. Lasher was innovating therapeutic techniques and was held up as a paragon in his field. But he could only swim against the tide for so long. His approaches became more desperate to stay relevant. And like all professionals in a less resourced field, he took greater risks in his career choices and practices. This would ultimately lead him to Fillmore and the controversy surrounding it. Following the incidents surrounding the Fillmore Four, the hospital struggled for funding. It remains partially operational to this day, but only a shadow of its former self. But let's rewind now to a private session between Dr. Harrington and Alicia one week after she started cheeking her meds. So, how are you feeling? Okay. Not foggy. Can you elaborate on that? Maybe it's... because I'm off the meds. You don't have to whisper that. I'm recording this, but it's just for me. Won't you lose your job for taking us off the medication? If you saw someone sitting on the train tracks and the train was coming, so you pushed that person to safety, would others say that you were a terrible person or would they say that you saved someone's life? Depends who the person sitting on the train tracks was. What if it was Hitler or Jack the Ripper? But you get my point, right? You see where I'm going with this? What, your white savior complex? No, and that's... That's not what I meant, I... I'm sorry if I came across that way. Sometimes I'm not good at explaining myself. Your hands are shaking. How long? Excuse me? How long have you been sober? Truth? If you feel like sharing. Short enough that you could take it out of the fridge, microwave it, and have it for dinner. Shit, Doc. I never met a doctor like you before. You're actually human. How did you know about... Your DTs? My mom was an alcoholic. She always tried to get clean. Could never quite figure it out. One night she went on a bender and fell in front of the F train. For some reason those shaky hands felt... calming. Like home. Why do you care so much? I don't know. I guess I can relate to all of you. 
Who did you lose? Everyone. Medical protocol took a back seat in this session where two human beings shared each other's pain. Dr. Harrington shared her patient's haunted past. State records indicate in 1988, Darlene was charged and ultimately convicted of driving while intoxicated. She was allowed to keep her medical license after paying a substantial fine and completing 200 hours of community service. It is during her community service that she became familiar with the Mid-Hudson's Children's Hospital, the place where she would eventually land her first job as a staff psychiatrist and ultimately suffer the first loss of a patient, a suicidal teenager named Shannon Barr. Johnny, it's Sam Williams. I, I know you told me not to call, but I have something for you. Okay, so Darlene had a bit of a sordid past before Fillmore. She was a functional alcoholic with a DWI conviction. She lost a patient when she worked at Poughkeepsie Children's Hospital. She has a backstory that people haven't even begun <sighs> to dig into. There's so much that I know oh, she's... new. Oh, news. Good night, Sam. Wait! I am starting to understand things better about this case. She describes the case as a situation that pulled her into an entropic abyss. Johnny? I'm here. You're starting to say some things worth listening to. I'm going to crack this one, Johnny. Your eyes are just into the dark. You're going to see some bad shit. But it's a good start. All right, weirdo. Time to check in with the boss. Sam, you're alive. Yeah, sorry. I've been swamped. Lots of tapes to get through. A couple hundred hours, probably. You need me to teach you how to digitize those tapes? Says the guy who needed me to help him set up his phone last month. Nah, I got it. Just saying. I am useful for a couple of things, and since you won't take me up on dinner, you'll never get to know how good of a sommelier I am. What was that? Are you alright? I... I don't know what happened. There was a huge crack in my wall. It just appeared out of nowhere. I... This building's old, and maybe the train... I didn't hear a train. I don't know, Mark. Well, if it needs patching, call your landlord. He'll take care of it. Yeah, maybe after I file this story. I need to stay focused. I think this story is getting to you. Maybe take some time away. Go away somewhere. Get drunk with your friends. I will take your advice into consideration. Okay. Well, if you need to talk sooner, I'm here. Good night, Mark. Take care, Sam. Hello? 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 Sorry, it's it's a bad connection. I can't hear you. I'm hanging up.
Hello? <sighs> Whoever this is, all I'm getting is interference. Call me back. Or not. This damn noise is starting to piss me off. You've been listening to The Gloom, a production of Violet Hour Media, produced and directed by Frank Merle. Written by Peter Winsutsky and Michael Asa. Music by Talib Peshkapia. Sound design by John Zowski. Mixed and mastered by Jean-Marc Preset. Executive produced by Cassie Josephoff. Lynette Tashel is the voice of Samantha. Charles Riffenberg is Mark. Michael Clark is Johnny. Carrie Weeder is Darlene and Tobin Bell is Dr. Lasher. The Fillmore Four are Hunter Johnson, Veronica Johnson, Angeline Labrie, and Spencer Ortega. Additional voices by James Cowan, Galen Howard, Jake Kaufman, Aaron Killeen, Keith Corneluk, Danielle Today, and Eileen Dietz as Dr. Glassman. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.